Hi, I'm Joel. This is the Creativity Pulse podcast, a podcast where we dive into the cool waters of creativity and cruise around some creative thinking, evolution of ideas, and innovation that currently exists in a variety of industries and businesses, big and small. I chat with my guests about their life and business and their approach to creativity. The guests share some of their methods and techniques with us so we can try and understand how some of the more creative people around us go about being, well, exactly that, more creative. For those of you just joining us, let me explain how things work. There's a weekly episode with a guest lasting between 15 and 20 minutes. There's then a series of three episodes. They're really interesting people, and my idea, initial idea anyway, of two episodes meant the episodes were getting to be a marathon of listening. There is also a takeaway with the third guest episode. This summarizes the whole conversation with some creative ideas linked in. It includes some insights to help you exercise, flex and build your creative mental muscle. You'll also find some information on the website that helps you do this. Check out the creative ideas generators, for instance. I'm back with the second episode with John Brewer. There is a final episode with John coming out next week along with a takeaway. But for this second episode, let's get straight back into the conversation. John and I have been talking about leadership and promotion. It's interesting. I was, uh, as you know, I sort of uh, grew up in Texas. So there's sort of a part of my being is a... uh, um, still wild <laughs> in that respect. I think it left a part of my psyche, but I really got into the American Indians and um, Crazy Horse. He was sort of pushed to be a leader of his people, but he actually was just an, an exceptional warrior. He, he, people followed him and that sort of bugged him um, and they pushed him to be a leader and it sort of eventually pushed him out um, of his mold. Um, I always, I'm not really into football, but I'm more of a rugby guy, but Sir Alex Ferguson managed Man United to win pretty much everything that you could ever win. And yet he was a terrible football player. I think he was a defender for Dunfermline until they probably fired him. You know, Um, I have a friend who's a teacher who is, again, people love listening to him. He's always, every place he works, they want him to go into management. And he ends up leaving because they just won't leave him alone. He's like, look, I became a teacher because I love teaching, not because I love managing teachers. And he's pretty good at telling them that. And they're just like, yeah, but you're fantastic at it. And he's just like, no, I'm fantastic in the classroom. So it's interesting that you actually say that. The, I mean, sort of what do you think are your greatest challenges on that, trying to balance those sort of people that you – who maybe aren't so good at their job, but would be fantastic managers. How do you balance that? Is there a sort of a resentment in there of like, you know, the only reason they're managers is because they weren't great doctors or nurses or psychologists, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think there's one big thing that, that again, I don't know if everyone, I don't think everyone even agrees on this, but one big thing is when I look at it is when you look at, a really good manager, a leader, or a really good nurse, say, um, that skill set's totally different. 
right? Like the, the best nurses that I know are incredible micromanagers. They are great. They know, they know, and they are in charge of every single piece of what's going on with that patient. Um, and the best leaders I know are the opposite, right? They're not great micromanagers. They, they're, and they shouldn't be because they need those people and they need to trust those people that are great at doing that kind of small part of the job. And they need to expand and see what's going on kind of in the forest instead of just the trees in front of them. And so um, that part can be tough to navigate, especially in places that don't reward people for being really good at just that type of role. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there is that piece of like, I'm the best at taking care of patients. I know my patient outcomes are incredible and all this stuff, but I don't feel like I'm getting rewarded. And so you have to, you do have to get creative in some ways of kind of like, what's the ways that we can reward this person. And like I said, maybe it's increasing their ability to conduct research or lead quality initiatives or things like that, where it's not necessarily people management or people leadership because that's a totally different skill set some of the some of the best people i know at at doing their job really really well are not great at in at that kind of interacting with different individuals they make them mad frankly right they're like this is the way you do it this is how you do it and they have no tact and how to how to navigate that because that's the world they live in and they're the expert there and so um yeah, it's it's really looking at that evaluation of skill set because not all skills are transferable. I once asked a friend's wife, they're now traveling around Morocco in their uh, VW Combi. Um, she became a vet. And I said, why, why a vet? Why not a doctor? And she said, the animals don't give me their problems. So I sort of scratched my head and I thought, makes perfect sense. You know, it must be very, very difficult if you are in, say, the industry that you're in, where everybody is effectively a very caring person. You wouldn't be in that to not bring more of, say, your personal issues into. Do you find that is a problem? It can. It definitely can be. I mean, I've seen people that that struggle with, like, say, you know, they've had their own mental illness or they've been impacted by you know, their family members have been impacted by mental illness, that type of stuff. It can be hard to kind of leave that at the door. The other part, though, is in training, when you go into kind of the mental health world, you definitely learn, like, you kind of leave your stuff. You can't you can't project that out into, into other people. And um, so there is a lot of training that goes into definitely kind of keeping your own stuff and your own biases as limited as you can, right? Like locking that up a little bit. And in healthcare in general, I mean, um, I don't know if every healthcare person even realizes this or thinks this way, but there's a ton of trauma that happens just every day in taking care of patients, right? Like patients die, patients have come in with terrible accidents, patients come in um, who have been abused and all of that type of stuff. And there's some like trauma and helplessness that can happen from that. Cause obviously you can't control everything and it can be hard. Even don't carry like that case that you just had. That was really tough to the next case. Right. Um, 
And part of that's just getting more, this is a total buzzword, but getting more trauma-informed, kind of understanding that type of stuff. So how do you, how do you develop a more trauma-informed organization where there's some areas where you can kind of decompress and, and all of that without expecting you just to compartmentalize and move on? Because long, long run, right? There's going to be some sideways stuff. You definitely see that with whether it's, you know, substance abuse or increased suicide rates, those types of things when um, people just bottle it up for a long time and never deal with seeing horrendous things or being impacted by a pretty tough case. I think we, uh, I'm sort of a trained economist, so we have uh, something called Homo economicus, and he's basically a psychopath. Uh, he's Kate Raworth's words on that one. The He's got all the money in the world, doesn't care about the planet, doesn't care about people, is totally rational, would abandon his kids and do what he wanted to do based on what he wants to do or she wants to do. Um, I think economics has suffered because of that. And I think the healthcare industry has maybe should impact economics in in allowing us to actually realize economics is beginning to realize that they now have behavioral economics and that this is where we need to focus because you can't have sort of a psychopath as a model for the human race and the economic and business models we sort of put into that. But you mentioned something before that you dealt with doctoral students. Do you, part of the training that you put them through, do you teach them how to compartmentalize, you know, moving from that one patient, leaving patient A, moving to patient B and not bringing patient A's issues into patient B? Yeah, there's a lot that goes in when they go through the the programs of kind of decompressing on talking about, you know, the case. And it, you, you go through a whole kind of supervision phase where you talk about the case, but you also talk about, like, how does that impact you? What, are there biases that get brought in because you have personal experience, that type of stuff? And so there's a lot of conversations that go into that during those, those training. You know, the, the students are with you for four years. So you have ample opportunity to really help guide them and kind of here's here's the the good way to kind of decompress and, and all of that. And that's not going to impact your patients versus like you just had a terrible case and then you end up like, word vomiting on your next patient a little bit or whatever it's um obviously not disclosing information but you, you, all of a sudden you're you're engineered in a manner that is challenging to to navigate there and so um yeah we talk a lot about that and i think that's kind of a another change that's that's slowly happening i mean if you meet some older docs who have been through through it right they're like why can't you just suck it up and do it? And and you totally can. Um, it's just long-term is that what's the most healthy thing for you to do? And no, <laughs> it's not, you know. You go completely bonkers. It's... Uh, exactly. Yeah. I think the... Have you seen a more creative sort of approach to man management with regards to people being, you know, traumatize themselves through the type of work that they do yeah you know i mean in the in the trauma-informed world there's definitely been a lot of approaches out there some of them are really simple approaches even but they can they can unite teams of people much better and uh some of them are as simple as just kind of checking in with each other every day right like um 
the research out there, I forget the exact number, but most people are only able to identify like six emotions or something like that. It's some, it's a very low number, right? Um, because they don't actually check in and think like, how am I feeling right now? It's just kind of go, go, go. And I'm going to react to everything as it's happening. And so some simple things can even be going around and just checking in. How's everyone feeling right now? I mean, I, I do that when I round with my teams, right? We, we go around and I'm like, how are you feeling? And, and right away you get the goods and fines and then you, you educate them that good and fine are not feelings. Um, <laughs> and you have a conversation about like, I actually care how you're feeling because if you go around, right, and check in with your team and everyone's anxious and worried or, or stressed or tired or um, some of these other emotions, it lets you dig in a little bit more of like, okay, what's contributing? How can I, and then you can start to create a more supportive workplace by just doing that. Um, there is a, I know this sounds super soft and fluffy, right? But if you collect enough data there, all of a sudden it's a much more data-driven approach than um, it's subjective data, but it's a data-driven approach to um, how can you help people feel better about the work that they're doing and feel supported in the work they're doing. I, and sometimes it just comes down to like, people need to be heard, right? <laughs> and they need to, they need to let you know that they feel stressed and you need to have that empathetic ear where you're not necessarily going to fix everything, but you can lean in and say, yeah, this is hard. This is a crappy situation, but let's talk about how can we navigate this? Because at the end of the day, it's our job to take care of these people. My daughters call it dad's talking to Mr. Think. <laughs> yeah. That's me talking to myself wherever it is I am and my kids realizing that dad's not sort sort of needs certification or anything like that or is off his meds. It's I think you do actually just literally have to verbalize and it you know, if you have these sort of strange thoughts and then you verbalize them and all of a sudden you think, wow, if I actually heard someone say that, that's a crazy thing to do. So and that's interesting that you've said that. It's it's also interesting. You ask people so often, you know, hey, how are you today? And they go, yeah, I'm fine. You're like, no, I'm actually asking you, how are you today? Um, I've lived in various cultures. I know you have as well. So I'm going to talk to you about that. But you, in, say, China, they, you know, if you ask someone how they are, it's a 20-minute conversation. They'll literally tell you how everyone in their family is. Thailand is the same. I found that sort of quite charming. And what I also found is that I didn't ask that many people how they were feeling today. <laughs> but do you think that that's sort of how we just sort of function sort of to a certain extent nowadays? We ask these questions and really you're not expecting the answer back? Oh, absolutely, right? Like uh, in America, you walk around somewhere and you see people that you know and everyone's like, hey, how's it going? And they're pretty good. And then you keep walking. <laughs> and there's not, you know, it's more of a, a greeting than an actual question of, how are you doing? So there's been some desensitization there, I think for sure of like, Oh no, this person actually cares about how I'm doing. And, um, I found when I first started kind of rounding with people and asking like, how are things actually going? And they'd say good or fine or whatever. Um, I'd be like, no, I really want to know. Like, tell me you'd have to kind of give some follow up there of like, no, this actually matters. How, how are things going? Let me know. Um, cause if not, it was kind of a, I can just I can just imagine people turning around and going, oh, my gosh, it's uh, Mr. Brewer's coming again. Don't say you're fine. It's not <laughs> yeah. an emotion. Yeah, it's uh, it is funny now because, you know, in meetings when we'll we'll check in with each other, now there will be a new employee and 
they'll be like fine and everyone will look at me and I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I can I can just imagine being that new employee. It's like, okay, I'll get my coats. Yeah. But it is totally you know, there's cultural differences that are so interesting because yeah, there's just other cultures from traveling and stuff that um some people are much more open with their emotions too. You know, I think in America, at least there's still a large, large portion of the population that does not want people to know if they're not doing well, they don't, you know, there's a lot of pride kind of that gets in the way and also shame of like, I feel ashamed of how I'm feeling. And, um, I think, you know, you've seen Brene Brown and some other people that have done some pretty incredible work in in bringing more of that to light and normalizing it. Cause that's, that's a huge thing is also like, am I allowed to say that I'm anxious when I'm at work or am I, is that going to be like a negative check mark against me? And now, you know, I'm never going to get that promotion I'm going for or anything. And I think we're, we're seeing some workplaces at least evolve into more of like, no, nope, that's never going to be a negative thing. We want you to be open about where you're at and what you're doing. I think that's, the cultural side of things. I know you've got family in England. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You go back there. You must notice quite a difference between the English and the Americans. I know growing up in the States, I certainly know when I travel between the two, we share a common language and I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that is about it. The culture is totally different, right? Even the, the humor, the, the way people interact with each other, um, all of that is totally different. There's, um, and then America is such a melting pot, right? You find some people that um, they grew up and their families are super open about everything. And um, especially you can kind of see the different, like, you know, you have your East Coasters, your Midwesters, your West Coasters, your Southerners, like, and every group's a little different um, with how, how they navigate as well. So there's a lot of, as a leader and as someone that you're when you're trying to navigate workplaces you have to realize like no one size fits all approach is ever going to help right like (laughs) that one that one size fits all approach that you take might work really well with like three people and then the rest of them are going to be like what are you doing this is so awkward or or (laughs) or whatever the point is you're trying to get across might actually be the go the exact opposite direction because of that approach. And so, um, you know, looking at different generations and different backgrounds and everything, you have to be a pretty agile person and, and leader to be able to navigate that well. Cause yeah, not every, not everything's going to land the same way. I know you've recently moved from, is it Montana to Arizona for your, for your job? Yep. Um, I'm familiar with Arizona. I, it, traveled around the States extensively, but never really got to Montana. Have you noticed the real cultural difference for say the family moving from one to the other and especially maybe the people that you actually work with? Some, I mean, the population's just dramatically bigger here, right? So that, that definitely has, has made some difference of things are just busier. There's more people, there's all of that. Um, but overall, I don't know if it's that, you know, both are on the Western half the country or third of the country or, or whatever it is. But, uh, um, I've found that in both areas, people have been really, really welcoming and kind and all of that. And, you know, I grew up on the East coast originally and, and it's different, it's definitely a different, a different culture there, right? Um, things are a lot more fast paced and things are a lot more kind of like, 
get out of my way. I'm going to be really blunt. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to trade kind of the niceties and things like that. And so, um, there hasn't been a huge culture shift for that. I mean, the biggest shift has been just getting used to it. it's a hundred degrees here at midnight <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of 20 degrees below, I guess, in Montana at some certain yeah, times yeah. of the year. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. A, yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. I mean, you've mentioned busier lives a number of times, and I'm sort of aware of we all seem to have, I don't know whether we have busier lives, but there's more things encroaching upon our lives. And do you think that we have become, as parents and as workers and as managers, a lot better at delegating our sort of time management, but also delegating the type of work that we do because we are so busy. Yeah. I mean, one, I think, you know, busy is always relative. Busy is what you're used to. Like someone can be incredibly what other people would say busy in that they're very productive and active and all of that stuff. And then if you ask them, they'd be like, no, I'm not busy. This is just a normal day. Right. And then, um, others you'd see and you'd be like, do they ever do anything? It seems like, <laughs> seems <laughs> like they're not doing much and, and they might feel incredibly busy. Right. Um, so I think the environment that you get used to definitely matters. And, but I think there is a huge part of like delegation, also the speed of communication and how that's changed. Right. You can, uh, everyone has their cell phones on them now. I think that's, that's actually one thing I'm kind of jealous of, like my parents when they were growing up and stuff, is that you um, you called the home phone, and if you didn't get a hold of them, well, they might call you back later, type thing. There, but now communication happens so fast, right? You can send a text, and now everyone's aware of what that message is that you need to get out, or send an email, and you know that within a couple hours, everyone's going to get that message. And I think that's well, done some positive though too it's way easier to delegate things now of just like here's where we're at getting people on board with that vision and uh, letting them kind of understand here's the steps or here's a delay or whatever where it's not you know gone are the days of writing a memo on a memo pad and putting it on the on the bulletin board in the break room type thing and um so the speed of communication has definitely helped and then i think the busyness for kids it's been um, you know, I played a ton of sports and did a ton of extracurriculars growing up. And so I was probably pretty busy. Um, yeah, I never felt super busy and, you know, my kids now kind of are the same. They, they do a lot of activities and things like that, but uh, we'll get done with a day and I'm like, Oh man, I'm kind of worn out. And they're like, Oh, this was great. Can we go do these things now? And I'm like, all right. So I think there is some, some of it's just, yeah. How well are you managing your time? And, all of it gets back to definitely like what's a priority and do you set aside time for your priorities? I think that's with the speed of communication, it's harder and harder and harder to figure out what's really uh, a priority and what needs to be just parked and not that big of a deal. And for me, I, I mean, I, I do a number of jobs and stay pretty busy on that end, but I know at the, my ultimate priorities, my family, right? Like I, I want to be a present dad. I don't miss my kids events, things like that. And so I manage my calendar around that. If my kids have a, 
have a recital or something like that, then my calendar's blocked and that's not movable. And like I said, it's one of those things where people will either respect that boundary or not. And if they're not, they're not the type of person that I need to work with anyways. Well, that's it for this week. I'll be back next week. Don't forget to have a look at the website. You'll find some stuff to help you develop your creative abilities. I'm Joel. Who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you do?